Okay, thanks, Andy. Good morning, everyone. Um, for those who don't know, yeah, just Vin, Vin as in like, best way to describe it is um, like Vin Diesel, except with bigger and better muscles, I think. Anyway, so keep your Bibles open to Galatians chapter 4. We're going to continue from Galatians 4, from verses 1 to 11, and that's where we're going to stay. It's titled, Sons Not Slaves. Uh, special treat goes to our children in the room. Children, listen to me. Um, this entire sermon, I'm going to do it in the same accent as the cartoon character, Bluey. Okay? I'm not even going to try. I'm just going to do it in God-willing I'll keep my Australian accent. But anyway, let me start off by sharing with you, just so you know, a secret into my family is that right now, my mother from Australia is staying with us for the entire summer. She's going to be with us. She's visiting from Australia. She's here to help us. Uh, She's going to help partly because our, our kids just need looking after while Laura, my wife, and I work. I love having my mother around, but Laura has seen, um, has, has seen a, a very different change going on in me, especially every time my mother's around. She notices that I go back to these very unhealthy tendencies, okay? Very unhealthy tendencies every time my mother's around. Look, it's not a surprise that every time she comes to visit, I go back to the age of 10, right? Because mum, it's mum, mum's there. For example, you know, now with mum around, the meals are there on the table, hot and ready to go. The house is spotless. The kids are ready for bed. I haven't lifted up a single finger. This means that the father switch in my brain is off now. I'm in a childlike mode. And it's going to be like this as long as mum is around. The truth is, I did not notice that I was going back to these old tendencies until Laura forced it upon me to acknowledge that these old tendencies have come up when my mother's around. So the question internally for me is, do I remain a child? Or do I need to, you know, go back to being a father uh, and a husband? If you ask me, right, I'm going to remain a child until mum's gone, okay? That's just straight up facts. But that's the point of what the text is going on about. Okay, that, uh, that God's people are going back to old tendencies. Yet they shouldn't. So let me read for us Galatians chapter 4, verses 1 all the way to 11. And it says, I mean that the heir, as long as he is a child, is no different from a slave. Though he is the owner of everything, but he is under guardians and managers until the date set by his father. In the same way, we also, when we were children, were enslaved to the elementary principles of the world. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his Son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, so that we might receive adoption as sons. And because you were sons, God has sent the Spirit of his Son into your hearts, crying, Abba, Father, So you were no longer a slave, but a son, and if a son, then an heir through God. Formerly, when you did not know God, you were enslaved to to those that by nature are not gods. But now, you who have come to know God, or rather, to be known by God, how can you turn back again to the weak and worthless elementary principles of this world, of the world, 
whose slaves you want to once whose slaves you want to be once more you observe days and months and seasons and years i am afraid i may have labored over you in vain so out of this passage i just got three points uh three simple points i want to make and uh the 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 points are this first is this is our burden second is his perfect timing and the third is do not look back okay so our burden his perfect timing do not look back i know for our crossridge you have gone through this letter to the galatians you've been reminded that you know that one of the reasons why paul the main reason why paul wrote to the church in galatia was because false teachers had entered into the church in galatia and these false teachers have uh have brought in a false gospel convincing the people convincing the people they needed to be circumcised in order to be real christians that they needed to accept this jewish religious law to be accepted by a jewish god so paul has spent some time now with them and he's re-explained the gospel the gospel that he's always preached to them that they are always they have always been saved through faith alone by Christ alone in I mean by grace alone in Christ alone so Paul now reminds them of how God has as he explained from verses chapters 1 2 and 3 now he gets chapter 4 now he's going to remind them they've been adopted into his family into God's family but somehow they've been convinced to turn back to go back to their old tendencies and this is what he's addressing. So going to my first point, our burden. When you look at verses 1 and 2, Paul continues his thought bridging from the conclusion of chapter 3, reminding the church in Galatia once again that because of what Jesus has done for them, they are not only adopted into God's family, but they also now they're free from the law. You're set free. that pressure and burden of living under law it's gone the apostle paul illustrates his freedom that they have in jesus by mentioning once again that those who have put their faith in jesus are his heirs okay now paul is not just talking about any heir but he's actually focusing on an heir who is a child and not just any child heir but a child heir with the most amazing inheritance question to the parents in the room um you're going to see up on the screen but did any other parent here buy a children's play fence like i did <laughs> otherwise known as prison <laughs> we know that children have the freedom to enjoy life within these parameters within the fence right but there will come a day when the fence goes down and you put away you put it away you put away for the good of the child because you know once the fence goes down then the child is free but until then until the fence goes down within the fence poor encourages well it, then it's a time to wait but like any child with a great inheritance there are sort of guidelines there's a there's a waiting period for the child as Paul puts it in his language he says the child is under guardians and managers see the term guardians and managers sort of refers to like a like a board of trustees 
It is the board of trustees that sort of manages the inheritance for the child. And then when the child is of age, it's the board of trustees that has invested and done all these things and held on to the inheritance, then hands over the inheritance to the child. So when is this child, or in the Greek, it's better translated as infant and baby, when is this child no longer a child? When will the child now receive the inheritance? That's the question. Look, for us growing up in the 20th and 21st century, the line is a little blurred, especially in regards to a child. There is sort of, there's no line, there was no person to really tell us when we've actually become an adult. Okay, without becoming like completely political, but let me put it to you this way, of how maybe confusing things are. Um, At the age of, at around 16 here in in, in Canada, you can drive, right? About 16 years of age. So that means the law of the land has stated that this is about the right time when a person can drive a motor vehicle, about 16. The government deems it that you're, you seem to be an adult. Now you have adult responsibilities with a motor vehicle on the road. Or let's take... Um, uh, here in our province of British Columbia, the legal drinking age is 19. But if you go secret, if you go to the province next door, the legal age is 18. But the law of the land has pretty much stated that it's about that age where you are deemed responsible enough to drink. But now we're entering to a time, and here's a reminder, but also an encouragement. We're entering a time, and remember, a time that God has placed you and I in. We are here for a reason. Where children can work out their their sex and their gender with all the freedom that they need and want, and there's no age restriction now. So when will God then make things right for his adopted children? When we don't know what an adult and a child is? When will the inheritance come to pass? Look, I have no idea, but what's God adopted children? We can take comfort in the fact that God is never early. He's never late. He always has perfect timing, all the time, every time. When you look at verse 3, the Apostle Paul takes the analogy from the first two verses and now really applies them into the church in Galatia. See, before the time of Jesus, God promised Abraham that through Abraham and Israel, the promise of salvation to save everyone, to save the people of Israel, the Jewish people, and the promise to save the world, God said, it'll come. Abraham, it will come. It will come through you, one of your descendants, but it will happen. I won't tell you when, but it will. But before the promise was fulfilled by God, the people were sort of children. They were enslaved. They were still living under the law and the weight of the law. See, Paul uses a phrase to expand on this idea. The phrase used here is elementary principles of the world. There's a bit of debate on what that could mean and does mean, but whatever these principles are, we are all enslaved to them. Christian and non-Christian alike, according to Paul. What I believe Paul is referring to here is this sort of this worldly idea of sort of you, you, you get what you deserve, almost like karma. 
Okay. Um, I have two daughters, seven and five, and their behavior is completely confusing, as it should. See, one moment, my daughters will come up to me and say, and they, uh, they'll ask if they can make and also serve me coffee. And I'll usually respond with, you know, oh, wow, this is, you know, this is so nice. I feel so loved. We'll hug and kiss. So when they behave well, you know what I mean? I'll act pretty well towards them as well. We act lovingly towards each other. Then there are times when their behavior is on the other end of the scale. And they say things, Daddy, I don't want to be friends with you ever. And I rightly respond by sending them to their room instead of saying stuff like, I never wanted to be your daddy in the first place. (laughs) Taking this idea a little further, we know, or at least we should know, if we were to ask non-Christians why God should let them into heaven... Most would respond with what? Because I'm a good person. The idea is that good people have earned heaven and bad people have earned hell. But Christians can take this idea too and take it further still and believe that when I behave a certain way, if I behave rightly and righteously, that somehow God loves me more. Or when I don't behave Christianly, then somehow God loves me less. It is these ideas that have enslaved the Galatians, but those ideas still enslave us today, here, in the 21st century. This this idea was the case for the law given to the people, given to God's people, after the promise. But the Apostle Paul has already spent time in Galatians, all of Galatians 3, to explain that the the purpose of the law was... First of all, to reveal sin. That the law had, had limitations. It, it, the law of God could only do so much. But the law was inferior. It was inferior to what was, God was offering now through His Son. It was inferior because the law had, you know, it was inferior because it needed mediation. And the law failed to actually bring life. It got you to behave a certain way, but it could not give you life. And the Lord did not offer you full-fledged freedom. So from all fronts, we're enslaved to the principles of the world, to the law, to being children. It's, it's, It's all on us. Which now leads me to my second point in regards to His perfect timing. You see, in verse 4, he says, But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his Son, born of a womb, born under the law. See, Paul makes this dramatic turn in verse 4. He makes a very dramatic turn in verse 4 by starting with the word, But. Have you ever... Okay, let me put it to you this way. Have you ever been in a situation where a friend, a co-worker, or spouse, boyfriend, girlfriend, you're at this place, you're at this meeting place, and you call them to ask them when they're going to arrive at the location that you've agreed upon meeting. You're there first, you're waiting for them. On one hand, you have people who say, hey, I'll be there in five minutes. And then they'll arrive within that five-minute time range, right? On the other hand, you have people who say, I'll be there in five minutes, and they end up taking about anywhere between 15 minutes to 15 hours. You know, look, God is not like that. 
God's reference to the fullness of time should be also understood or best translated as sort of complete or ripe, sort of ripe, uh, you know, picking of the fruit. It's perfect timing. That's what he's trying to say. So as I mentioned before, God's timing is always perfect. But it doesn't always seem that way to us, to you and me. Let me explain this a bit further. Um, I've always wanted, I don't know if you know what it is, but I've always wanted a Traeger sort of wood pellet grill and smoker. I've always wanted a smoker. It will remain a dream as long as I live in Burnaby because the smoker will end up being bigger than the area that I live in, or the space that I live in, sorry. But I love the idea with a smoker. I love the idea of uh, preparing the meat 24 to 48 hours in advance. I love the idea of smoking the meat to 8 to 24 hours within the smoker, sitting there in front of the Traeger with a book, reading and a nice beverage. And all throughout that time, you're being completely, you know, like, meticulous about everything you're checking the temperature of the smoker you're checking the temperature of the meat you're spraying stuff on it whatever it is but it takes perfect timing to create the perfect piece of meat but how can god's timing be perfect though is my question because just like smoke meat or meat you put in a grill or a smoker that takes time the longer you allow the meat to sit in salt and spices, the more that salt and spice marinates into the meat, right? The more sort of enhanced the flavor becomes. Why is that an issue? It's an issue because the law and sin have marinated for a long time on the people. That's why. The longer sin and law sits on the people, the more it marinates. It goes deep, deep down into people. Look, the result is that the law was so deeply ingrained in the people that people made more laws in order to protect the law. Then the people had, to, had people to police the law. Then anyone who broke the law was severely punished by the law. You see, obeying the law became a way of salvation for the people. All going on the other hand, the result for sin. Sin continues to harden the heart, does it not? Sin doesn't soften the heart, it actually hardens the heart. The people make excuses for their sins, do we not? The people in Galatia do, we do today. We more, uh, we're better at pointing other people's sins rather than our own. See, sins, like think about the, this day and age when we talk about sins. What are you talking about sins, Vin? Sins shouldn't be treated like sins. Why are you talking about sins this way? Because our culture would say, how can something that feels good be wrong? Law and sin have marinated deep. Many Bible, um, biblical commentators have, have talked about how Jesus has come at the right time, at the right place. When, when they look about it, even practically speaking, they're saying Jesus came at the right time. Why? One of the reasons is because the Roman Empire, when they conquered not just Jerusalem, but the, most of the known world, 
they actually unified all the places they conquered. It was all under the Roman Empire. That's a, somewhat of a good thing. There was, there was now more of a unified, not just sort of culture, but a unified language, and that language happened to be Greek. This then gave way for the Bible to be, the New Testament to be re- written in Greek, which means that most people could understand and read it and speak it. And the Roman Empire also had built roads at all the places that they conquered. So the message of Jesus could be easily spread. Look, I would add then also, but that there is still a beautiful mystery when it comes to God's timing and how how meticulously He orchestrates all things perfectly in His time for His glory and for our good. Human speaking, I know it's difficult, Because I can barely get my kids to school on time. But God's timing was precise in sending His Son. Because that's what He says. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth His time. At the right time, He sent His Son. You've got to think of it more like this way. I don't do many sporting analogies, but this will be one. It reminds me of great sports great sporting coaches and great sporting moments think about it this way when your team is down down a goal or whatever it is or the, the or, or or it's a it's a draw or whatever it is and there's only a few minutes left what you what the coach knows what he needs to do is you got to find the right spark at the right time okay so what we frame it in the sporting world, you call it the, the, what you call the, the super sub, the super substitute. There's a person on the sidelines, on your bench, that you serve at the right time. Why? Because the perfect substitute at the right time shifts the momentum in the game. Do you understand? And the energy changes, the opponents know, your team, your, the teammates get jacked up because they know the right sub has come in. As soon as a substitute comes in, you just see the game change. The pace change, the energy changes in the, you know, in, in the place that they play. And when the substitute gets the victory and the goal for the coach or for the team, game over. You see, in verse 4, God sends His Son perfectly at that time to change that momentum. But God sends His Son, which points to Jesus' Paul's referencing that Jesus' divine nature. Okay? So He's sent by God, but born of a woman, then which, which puts emphasis on His humanity, that He's fully divine and fully human, that Jesus had to be both. He had to be both. He had to be divine to destroy sin and death, but also to have the power to grant eternal life. He has to be God. But Jesus had to be human in order to be our perfect substitute. Not only does there need to be perfect timing, but there also needs to be a perfect sacrifice, a perfect substitute. And all that comes together perfectly in Jesus at the right time. Not only that, but within God's sort of perfect timing, God sent His Son, born of a woman, but also, it states, but also born under the law. 
What Paul is referring to here is that this means that from the Mosaic laws, when they were introduced, like the Ten Commandments, until the time of Jesus' deathly sacrifice, Jesus himself and only Jesus obeyed the law completely and perfectly. Jesus lived and did everything right, which makes him the perfect sacrifice for you and I, the perfect substitute once again. But according to the elementary principles of the world, Jesus should not have been killed. Why? Because a good man should not have a bad death. But God does this. Paul states it. Why does he do it? He does it so that we can be redeemed. Where God can buy us back to pay the price for his children. A price that only Jesus could, could pay. Jesus goes through all this so that we would become the children of God, to be adopted into his families, to no longer be slaves but children. Now, most of you don't know my story, so I'm not going to spend too much time on it, but I spent most of my teenage years, more than actually, more, all of my teenage years and a bit more, uh, in, like, in a gang selling drugs. I ended up in prison. After prison... It was hard to get my life together, so my parents sent me to the United States to, to, to get my life together. I had uncles and aunties that were in the United States to, to help, to potentially help, that is. The truth is that even though most of my family is, are Christians, my, my, most of my uncles and aunties are Christian, um, my family actually didn't take me in. My uncles and aunties did not take me in. Long story short, a newly married um, pastor and his wife took me in for two years. They adopted me into their family and they loved me as their own. Your brothers and sisters, one thing I'll say is this. I know that the Christian life might not be perfect right now for each and every one of us. If it is perfect, I've got questions for you, but most of us should assume that the Christian life is not perfect. There'll be some of you who are going through some things in life that seem really unfair. But in the, in the Father's perfect timing, He will make things right. He will. It is promised to us. But for now, when things don't feel right or seem right, praise Him. Thank Him that He calls you a son and a daughter, that He has adopted you into the family. Look, if you're in this room and you're unsure about being in God's family, am I in, am I out? then today is the perfect time to confess your need for, for your need for Jesus. Your need for Jesus in being the perfect substitute at the perfect time for a death that you perfectly deserve. But thanks be to God that He doesn't just leave us there. He doesn't leave us there like, I died on the cross, you accept me, you adopted in the family, and then that's it. Figure it out on your own now. He doesn't do that. Because I would, I would safely assume this. That anyone that gets adopted into a family, they can still know and feel all the insecurities of joining a new family, right? I would think that I would, if I was adopted into a family, I would think and feel that I need to earn my way into a new family. Because the fear inside me would think, oh, if, if I don't act right and be right and do all these things right, somehow I'll be returned to the elementary principles of the world. 
This is why Paul knows this and then addresses this in verse 6. When he says that because you are son, sons, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts crying, Abba, Father. See, God sends the spirit of his son into our hearts to help us cry out, Abba, Father. To help us to know deep down within our hearts and our bones that the God, the Father has adopted us. You, have, you don't have to earn your way. You have to feel and know that insecurity that he has adopted you out of his doing, not out of yours. Because if it was because if you were adopted into his family because of your doing, then of course the insecurity becomes bigger. But because he has done it, and out of his sovereign choice, it has nothing to do with you and I. That's why we can have assurance as sons and daughters. This is why by the power of the Holy Spirit, we cry out, Abba, Father, to remind us of our adoption. Paul concludes this section that we are more than just sons and daughters. That's how he concludes it. As the Spirit helps you to cry, Abba, Father, he says, hey, remember now, the Spirit's going to help you to know that you are more than sons and daughters in this family. Your adopted children, look, adopted children are just thankful to just get in. They scraped in. But in God's family, as Paul states, you become heirs of Jesus, with Jesus. That means we share in the riches that Jesus has attained for his family. We share that. Which now leads me to my third and final point. Do not turn back. When you look at verse 8, it says, Formerly you did not know God, and you were enslaved to those by, the, by nature, are not God. So Paul begins with a, so this new paragraph by, by getting the church in Galatia to think, hey, think back. Think back to what it was like before knowing God, but more importantly, now you're being known by God. Okay? So then, when you think back, you were enslaved. You and I were enslaved. The church in Galatia, we were all enslaved by the things of the past, by the elementary principles of the world. Paul's asking, why would you go back to that? Um, does anyone know what life hacks are? I was unsure. I had heard the term but because maybe I'm not a millennial. I didn't know exactly what it was. So I, I, I did what any normal human being would do. I googled it. And so life hacks, you can come up with top 10 life hacks, top 100 life hacks. But the definition of life hacks are tricks, shortcuts, skills, or novel, novelty methods to increase productivity. Productivity. Um, there were so many examples online, I didn't know what else to use. So I'll use the dumbest one that any other man like me would have to need help in. My example is men and socks. Before meeting my wife, I would throw all my socks into my sock drawer. But when the time came to get a pair of socks, the struggle got real for me. Because I had no idea which sock went with which sock. If they slightly matched, praise be to Jesus, because that was a winner, and I'll just put them on. But after getting married, I was taught as soon as they come out of the dryer, as soon as they're still piping hot, that's when you've got to match them. You've got to match them, lock them together. You know, you take the elastic at the end of the sock and you peel it over so they come like a ball. Now the socks 
are stuck together. So why would I want to go back to the struggle of finding individual socks and figuring out how to match them? See, Paul found it hard to comprehend why anyone would go back to the elementary principles of the world. Where you had to earn every inch. Where the daily burdens were heavy. And how the soul, the soul was never satisfied, ever. Why would you go back to the process of you get what you deserve? He couldn't understand. But truth be told, the Bible lovingly encourages us and reminds us that each and every one of us actually rightly deserves death. We have rightly earned death and we are all without excuse. But it is Christ that takes on that death we deserve and offers to give us life. And we know that this promise is real about life. It is real. It is real and secure. Why? Because Jesus himself is resurrected. That confirms it for us. Kids, you've made it to the end. This is it. This is the end. I've got one final conclusion, one final thought, and we're done with Bluey. So Laura and I do not have family in BC. Uh, Most of Laura's family is in Calgary. Most of my family is in Australia. Um, Moving here to BC is hard, man. The grind, the grind, the pace, the stress of getting your kids ready for school in the morning and on time, the pressures then of getting to work on time with with the traffic that we're in. Then you add for me the ministry usually ministry usually consists of very long hours. And when you get home you need to think about what to eat or where to eat. Life is hard. Don't get me wrong, it's also wonderful at the same time. Having my mother here to help with the kids, you know what? And and, and when Laura and I get home and, and there's a hot meal ready for us and it's waiting, you know what it does? It's a relief. There's peace. There's joy. And we don't take it for granted. Even as a Christian, life here on earth is still hard. Pain is real. Suffering is real. But what a relief that Jesus has rescued and and, and sort of secured our salvation. Jesus is waiting at home with that hot meal, ready, waiting. When the time comes. But before the time comes, as we patiently wait, rest and be joyful in that the Savior is waiting at home for us. Let's pray. So Lord Jesus, we are, we are thankful that you have achieved for us something that we could not do on our own. Lord Jesus, thank you for adopting us into your family. Thank you that we are more than just sons and daughters, but we are co-heirs with you, Jesus. And we share in the rich riches that you have attained for us, the richness of life and of relationship with you for all of eternity. And so, Jesus, help us to not turn back, to feel like we have to earn your love and earn your trust because somehow we'll be no longer adopted into your family. But we are 
But for those who put their faith and trust in you, it's secure. It's a done deal. And during this time, we wait. We wait for the promise to come, Lord God, that you will return to come back, to come back and rightfully claim what is rightfully yours. So help us to rest assured in those things. So Jesus, we praise you. We thank you. Help us to live a life of great thanksgiving and of great joy for what you have done for us. And in your name, Jesus, we pray. Amen.